Hello, and welcome to the Christ Walk Church Podcast. Good morning, everybody. How is everybody doing today? Yes, I trust that you all had a good Thanksgiving and that you are um, back in the saddle ready to go for tomorrow morning as we get back to the normalcy of life. A little bit, sorry to remind everybody, um, but work starts again tomorrow, you know, those few days off and everything, and it's time to get back on the diet and back to the gym and, you know, all of that stuff. You got to work off those extra pounds that you've put on. Um, so, so excited to be here. I'm excited to be sharing God's Word with you this morning, and I, I'm, just, I'm just pumped about um, this season of the year. It's always my favorite time of year. And um, especially from the standpoint of a believer, the holidays, they just mean so much more to those of us who have put our faith and hope in Jesus Christ. And so I'm super excited about that. We're closing out our series, uh, The Search for Happiness, this morning. And so over the past few weeks, we've been talking about some of the things that we can do, that you and I can do, according to God's word, to put ourselves in a position to live a happy life, because at the end of the day, that's what we want, right? You and I, we want to be happy. And so if you've got your Bible or a smart device, I want to invite you to turn with me or swipe with me to the book of 1 Timothy chapter 6. 1 Timothy is, is um, in the second big section of the Bible called the New Testament. It's kind of divided into these two big sections. You've got the Old Testament up front and the New Testament towards the end. And 1 Timothy um, is pretty much smack dab in the middle of that second section, the New Testament. And it's um, it's a letter, or some people would call it an epistle. That's a, that's a really fancy word for letter. It's one of the pastoral epistles in the New Testament. And it's Paul writing to a guy named Timothy, who was the pastor of the church at Ephesus. And so we're going to jump into chapter 6 of 1 Timothy in just a moment. But um, many of you will remember, if you were here with us through this series, that three weeks ago we started off the series by talking about um, the first thing that a lot of people turn to in, in order to make us happy or to make them happy, and that's our wealth. And we learned that our wealth isn't based on what we have, but instead it's based on what we give. And then in the second week of our series, we talked about joy. And we learned that joy isn't based on our circumstances, but rather it's based on our Savior. And then last week, we talked about thankfulness and kind of what was a part one to today's part two of, of, of this message uh, of thankfulness and contentment. And we learned that, that thankfulness causes us to focus on what we do have instead of what we don't. And so for the next few minutes today, I want to kind of continue up and, and maybe uh, uh, pick up really right where we left off last week and talk to you about this idea of contentment. Not just to be thankful for what we have, but to be content with what we have as well. Now, Sarah and I, um, we once lived in St. Louis, Missouri, and uh, we had a neighbor there, and um, uh, his name was Steve. And Steve, Steve was a great guy. And he worked hard, and he provided for his family, and, and, and he, would, he would come home at the end of the day and, you know, after putting in a hard day's work and everything. But there was, there was a clear number one love in Steve's life. Steve would open up the garage at the end of the day, and there sat a beautiful 
Dodge Challenger that he referred to affectionately as his race car. Now, I don't know much about cars. I'm not really a car guy, but I do know that this car was shiny, it was loud, and it was fast. And even though I don't know much about cars, I have to imagine that for those of you that are car guys, if there's three things that you could have in a car, you would want it to be those three things, right? You'd want it to be shiny, you'd want it to be loud, and you would want it to be fast. There was no mistake in when Steve fired up his Dodge Challenger because the pictures would rattle on the wall of our adjoining townhome. And oftentimes I would come home from work or, or we would be leaving to go out somewhere and there Steve would be with a rag and he would be polishing his car, being sure that it was shiny. And he was down by the wheels and he was scrubbing them with a toothbrush. And every single weekend he had that thing out and, and he would take it for a drive. But before he would bring it back in, he would wash it off and he would, he would polish it down. And then he would gingerly and lovingly back it right into the garage and he would close the door until next time. And there was one time that, that Steve was out and, and he actually had the car out in the driveway and, and I was out doing some stuff in the front and, and he, he and I got to talking and he said, hey, you, you want to go for a spin? I thought, well, I mean, it's shiny, fast and loud. What, what's not to like? Yeah, I want to go for a spin. And so he got in this thing, and again, I, I don't know anything about vehicles, but I do know is that when he took off, it like sucked you back in the seat, you know. And, and I began to like grab onto things and like pray for the Lord to just get me back home safely. We were driving so fast. And we took this little trip down the road a piece and, and then turned around and came back, and he pulled into the driveway, and, and he... I got out of the car and my heart was beating fast and everything and I was just thankful to be back home in one piece and and Steve said so what did you think and I was like man that is a that's a great car I would I would love to have a car like that someday and he said well you can I said what do you mean he said yeah you can have a car like that he said you work hard don't you and I said yeah and he said, you, you, you provide for your family, don't you? And I said, yeah. And he said, well, then just do what you need to do. Like remortgage the house, like take out a loan, whatever you need to do, because you deserve it. You deserve to have a car like this. And let me tell you, Steve may not have realized, but he was channeling the voice of the enemy into my ear that day. And into our ears that day because, because no, 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 no. We do not deserve it. That's not, how we, that's not how we go about things. That is not the way that God intended us to live. But yet that is the mindset that we have taken on, that, that we've looked at these things that are far above anything that we can afford. We've looked at these things far above anything that we need. And we've convinced ourselves with the help of the enemy that I'm going to get that because I deserve it. And we rationalize it. I'm a good person. I work hard. I take care of my family. That thing would make me happy. And I deserve it. And so we go and we get it. And there's, there's pressure. There's all kinds of pressure around that in our lives, particularly here in America. And maybe you don't feel it, but I certainly do feel it. And I, I think a lot of Americans 
um, if they're being honest, they would say that they feel that pressure too. It's, it's just take this weekend, for example, Black Friday, which is kind of a joke now because it starts on Thursday in person, but online it starts on Monday. Pretty soon it's just going to be like Black July, you know, like we're just going to start then. Americans, over the course of this weekend, we are going to spend, as experts have, have estimated, that we're going to spend $59.6 billion, with a B, dollars this weekend, Black Friday, Saturday, Sunday, this weekend, on into Cyber Monday, $59.6 billion dollars. And we've normalized that behavior. It's become something that, that we circle on the calendar every year. And, and there's pressure for us to hurry up and, and wrap up the Thanksgiving dinner so we can go stand in line at Target or Walmart or wherever so that, so that we can get the, the good deal that is in the flyer for this year. And the sad thing is, is that, that something that I've discovered in, in my own life is that Last year's Black Friday deals have become this year's yard sale items. And it's just this perpetual cycle of the things that I couldn't live without last year are thrown into the trash heap this year because I got to get something new. I got to have something different. And there, there's, there's pressure there. There is pressure to get out and get that $5 toaster, right? There's pressure there. There's pressure for us to have these things. There's pressure for us to have a large Thanksgiving spread and to fill the table in the kitchen with all sorts of meats and side dishes and goodies. And there's pressure to eat seconds. And then there's pressure to go back for thirds. And then there's pressure to unbutton your pants and get a piece of pumpkin pie and then take a nap. There's, there's all kinds of pressure on us. Men, there's, there's pressure on us men to provide for our families, to work hard, to earn a good wage so that we can bring home the bacon, so that, that we can give our family not just food and clothing and shelter, but so, so that not, not just meet their needs, but also provide a lot of their wants, Right? We feel that pressure. Ladies, there's, there's pressure on you to, to not just have an outfit, but to have all the accessories and to be well put together and to have your home in order and to have nice furniture and, and all, of, all of these things and, and to, to, put a, to put a wonderful meal on the table and to be sure that your kids are wearing matching outfits and that they smile in all the pictures. There's pressure there. There is, there's pressure on us to close the deal to get the raise, to ascend the ladder, and to do so at any cost. There is a tremendous amount of pressure on us. There is pressure to wake up on Christmas morning and have a brand new Lexus with a big red bow on it in the front yard, the front driveway. If you don't believe me, just watch the commercials. There is that pressure, and, and we've, we've bought into the lie that if we are not living this way, that if we're not behaving this way, that if we're, not, if we're not doing these things, that somehow we are getting it wrong, that something is wrong with us. And we justify it all because, after all, we deserve it, right? We deserve it. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. 
There, there is nothing wrong with having things or with getting new stuff. But that cannot be the driving force in our lives. That cannot be the thing that we rely on to determine whether or not we are happy because we get what we deserve. You know what? I'm thankful that I don't get what I deserve because what I do deserve is death and hell. That's what I deserve. And there is, there's no, no thing that I could purchase that is going to take that away. And, and we're, just, we're just hiding from things. We're, we're just perpetuating the problem and we are, we're hoarding and we're amassing these things. And, and this is not me pointing the finger at anyone this morning. This is me talking to myself and you guys just to get, get to be privy to it this morning. Okay, because I'm, I struggle with this as well. And we look around our society and I've, I've paid an extra special close attention to the commercials and the, the radio ads and the, the stuff flooding our mailboxes this year in particular. And it all communicates this. It communicates this idea that we need to pursue after these things because these things will make us happy. But what I'd like to talk to you about for the next few minutes is this idea. And that is our pursuit of things should never be greater than our pursuit of Jesus. Our pursuit of things should never be greater than our pursuit of Jesus. Because Jesus is the only one that can truly satisfy. Jesus is the only one that can truly make us happy. And so let's jump into 1 Timothy chapter 6, and let's take a look at the words that Paul had for Timothy. 1 Timothy chapter 6, we're going to start with verse 6. Paul writes this. He says, serving God does make us very rich if we are satisfied with what we have. We brought nothing into the world, so we can take nothing out. Verse 8. But if we have food and clothes, we will be satisfied with that. Those who want to become rich bring temptation to themselves and are caught in a trap. They want many foolish and harmful things that ruin and destroy people. Verse 10. The love of money causes all kinds of evil. Some people have left the faith because they wanted to get more money, but they have caused themselves much sorrow. Now I want to take just a moment and and let's break that passage down that Timothy is writing. And, and, And I want to present to you this morning four thoughts, four ideas, four principles that, that I see in this passage that I think will, will really, um, if, if we begin to, to live in accordance to these principles in our lives, that it will get us on the pathway to living that happy life that we so desire. So if you're taking notes, I want to encourage you to write these four things down. Number one, number one, contentment turns what we have into enough. Contentment turns what we have into enough. Now, let me remind you right there, 1 Timothy 6, 6, Paul writes this. He says, serving God does make us very rich. And all the Christians said, woohoo! Because that's what we want to be, right? We want to be rich. 
We spend a lot of time focused on the first part of that verse, but, but we, we fail to realize the last part. Serving God does make us very rich if we are satisfied with what we have. See, commitment turns what we have into enough. Commitment or contentment says, contentment says that if, if my situation never changes, I'm going to be okay because I have Jesus. That's what contentment says. I may never get a newer car. I may never get a better job. I may never get another raise. I may never get a newer house, but that is okay because what I have is enough. I am satisfied with what I have because this is what God has blessed me with. And I am going to do my very best during my time on this earth to steward the blessings that God has given me, whatever that may be. That's what contentment says. It caused Ben Franklin to write these words. He said, contentment makes poor men rich, but discontent makes rich men poor. See, when we're so dissatisfied with the blessings that God has given us, it can cause us to become poor. Even though we may have a lot of things, we can be living a very poor life, a very unhappy life, a very unfulfilled life. But when you become content with the blessings that God has given you, then you will live a life of happiness and joy and fulfillment, knowing that you are stewarding properly and the, the blessings that God has placed in your life and that you are serving him, you're glorifying him, you're honoring him with those things. And that will fill your cup more than any Black Friday deal that you can possibly imagine. Contentment turns what we have into enough. Number two, our identity is not found in what we have. Our identity is not found in what we have. In 1 Timothy 6, 7, Paul wrote to Timothy, he said, We brought nothing into the world, so we can take nothing out. The things that we have our wealth, our possessions, they are but for a short season as, as we walk through this life here on earth. We did not have any of those things when we got to this earth. And guess what? When we leave this earth, we won't be taking any of them with us. They are just for right now. And so our identity is not wrapped up in any of those things. C.S. Lewis put it this way. He said, human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God to make him happy. Human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God to make him happy. That if I can just amass more money, if I can amass more stuff, then I'll finally reach the status to which I hope to attain. Then I will finally be somebody. If I can just get more than the guy next to me, then I'll be able to look down at him and say, mm-hmm. That's what we strive after. But that's not what our identity is based on. Our identity is, is not found in the things that we have. Our wealth is not our worth. 
Our stuff does not determine our status. Our identity is based in the fact that you and I were loved by God so much that he sent his one and only son, the most priceless possession that he had. He sent him to this earth to be born as a baby, to grow up and to become a man and to die in your place and my place so that we could be forgiven of our sins, that he called us his children and that we are joint heirs with Jesus Christ, that the blessings that the father has poured out on his son Jesus are the same blessings that he is pouring out on you and me. That is what our identity is, that we are children of God. It's not based on what we have. It's not based on our bank account. It's not based on the square footage of what we drive home to after church. It's based on Jesus Christ who bought us with a price. That is our identity, that we are his children. So number one, contentment turns what we have into enough. Number two, our identity is not found in what we have, number three, if, it's not, if our identity is not found in what we have, then, then it isn't what we have, it's what has us. It isn't what we have, it's what has us. In verses eight and nine of our first Timothy passage, Paul wrote, but if we have food and riches, we will be satisfied with that. Now listen, right here. Those who want to become rich bring temptation to themselves and are caught in a trap. They want many foolish and harmful things that ruin and destroy people. That tells me that if our goal in life is just to amass wealth and to amass things, that there is danger there, that we are caught in a trap that is ultimately going to lead to our ruin because it's not what we have, it's what has us. And, and, and we have the wrong idea. We, we get so caught up in these possessions that we think we own those things, but in fact, those things begin to own us. You see what I'm saying? In Matthew 16, verse 26, Jesus said this, he said, it's worthless to have the whole world if you lose your souls. You could never pay enough to buy back your soul. You could never pay enough to buy back your soul. Here's the deal. He who dies with the most toys is still dead. It doesn't matter what we amass here on earth. We could never trade those things for our eternal life in heaven. It's not about what we have. It's about what has us. And do the things in our life have place in our heart? Do our possessions and our money, is that what is, that what is holding onto our heart? Is, is our, our status, our, our level, uh, the, the, way people, uh, the way people look at us, in society, in our culture, is that what has a hold of our heart or, or is it Jesus Christ? Is that who has a hold of our heart? Because it's not about what we have, it's about what has us. And we need to be living a life to where Jesus is what's holding our heart. And not that thing, not that car, not that boat, not that house, not that stuff that one day is going to rot and, and be destroyed. 
We need to be sure that the thing that's holding on to us, the thing that, that has us at our core is something of eternal value. Contentment turns what we have into enough. Our identity is not found in what we have. It isn't what we have, it's what has us. And number four, the last thing, if we're going to be discontent with anything, it should be our relationship with Jesus. If we're going to be discontent with anything, it should be our relationship with Jesus. It shouldn't be because we haven't made it to that level yet. It shouldn't be because we haven't, we haven't gotten that investment deal done yet. It shouldn't be because we haven't purchased that new vehicle yet. It shouldn't be because we don't have that stuff in our lives. It should be, if we're going to be discontent, it should be because our relationship with Jesus is not what it could be and that there's room for growth, and that there's room for us to improve. If we're going to be discontent with anything, let's be discontent with the fact that we're not as close to Jesus as we could be, as we would be, as we should be, if we would do X, Y, Z, and then start doing X, Y, and Z to get closer. To each and every day, we take a step closer to Jesus. Each and every day when we get up, Jesus, Lord, Lord, help me. Draw me close to you. Draw me closer to you today. Help me fall more in love with you today. Help me to let go of this stuff over here. I don't want those things to hold my heart. Help me to put my heart in your hands. Help me to place my life in the position that, that you want it to be. Help me to follow after the principles of your word today. Jesus, just help me to follow after you today. That's what I want more than anything. You, Jesus, are all that I want. Because Paul wrote, he said, the love of money causes all kinds of evil. And some people have left the faith because they wanted to get more money, but they have caused themselves much sorrow. They wanted stuff so bad that they turned their back on Jesus who died for them. That they were believers, but they got so caught up in the rat race, so caught up in this desire to have and to be and to do that they turned their backs on Jesus Christ and they ended up causing themselves much sorrow in the long run because they allowed things to control them rather than living a life that put Jesus in first place. See, Paul had discovered the secret and he wrote about it in a later book, a later letter to the Philippians. He writes this. He says, I'm not telling you this because I need anything. I have learned to be satisfied with the things that I have and with everything that happens. I know how to live when I'm poor and I know how to live when I have plenty. I have learned the secret of being happy at any time in everything that happens, when I have enough to eat and when I go hungry, when I have more than I need and when I don't have enough, I can do all things through Christ because he gives me strength. Paul had discovered the secret. Paul had discovered that it did not matter what situation he faced. 
It did not matter, matter whether it was a high or it was a low. He had discovered that he did not live this life based on his own merits, based on his own value, based on his own abilities. Paul had discovered the secret that you and I need to discover today. And that's regardless of what we are facing, regardless of what we are coming up against, that it is all about our relationship with Jesus Christ because it is, it is in and through him and him alone that we are able to do and accomplish anything. If I'm going to be successful in this life, I do not want it to be because I was, I was successful in the business world. That's not what I want to be known for. I don't want to be known for somebody who amassed a bunch of money and, and had a bunch of stuff and cars and, and jewelry and fancy things and houses and stuff. All of that is fine and good, but if I'm going to be famous for something, if I'm going to be known for something, if I'm going to be successful at anything, I want it to be because I accomplish things in and through the strength of Jesus Christ and that my relationship Relationship with him always took first place and that it was always the number one priority and that that is what I sought out more than anything else. And then what he decides to do, whether in plenty or in want, what he decides to do is up to him. But as for me and as for my house, we are going to put him first and we are going to serve him first before anything else. And then how he chooses to bless or not to bless is up to him and according to his priority in our life, according to his purpose in our life. But I am going to be satisfied, content with just having Jesus, just having Jesus. See, here's the good news for us today. The good news for you and for me is that Jesus is pursuing us. Jesus wants desperately to have a relationship with us. Jesus wants so much to be number one in our life. He is chasing after us. We, we sing a song about it sometimes with a reckless love. Like he has thrown caution to the wind and he is all in. It does not matter. He is, he is chasing after you and me. He is pursuing us so deeply and this is, is the message and the hope that is at the very center of this holiday season that we find ourselves in. And the good news is, is that when we pursue him in return, we will soon discover that he is enough for whatever we need. But it takes a shift in our priorities. It takes a, a shift in our mindset. And that shift is this. Jesus said it in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 6. He said, seek first God's kingdom and what God wants, and then all your other needs will be met as well. Seek first. Everybody say first. We seek first God's kingdom. We don't seek first stuff. We don't seek first Black Friday deals. We don't seek first the raise, the promotion, the house, the boat, the car. We don't seek those things first. We seek first God's kingdom and what God wants. And then all of these things will come our way. Then God will provide our needs. Some of us, we're expecting God to provide when we haven't sought him first. 
We're seeking after our needs and our wants and our desires, and we're trying to fulfill those things. And we're saying, God, why haven't you shown up here? And God's just saying, I would if you would just seek after me. He's waiting to bless his people. But he's expecting us to seek him first in order to receive those blessings. And what he has for us is so much bigger. It's so much better. It's so much greater than anything that we would, able to be, that we would be able to generate or, 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 or um, create on our own. The blessings that he wants to bestow in our lives. And if we do this, if we seek first God's kingdom and what God wants, here's the result. James 4 and 8. Come near to God, and God will come near to you. You sinners, clean sin out of your lives. You who are trying to follow God and the world at the same time, make your thinking pure. That we no longer keep our minds focused on things, on getting, on gaining, on amassing, but instead we purify those thoughts And we come near to God. And when we do that, when we come near to God, when we seek him first, he then comes to us. Because we have a void in our lives that whether we realize it or not, only Jesus can fill. The problem comes is that when we we try to medicate ourselves or we try to fill that void in our lives with stuff, But what might happen if you and I chose from this day forward to fill our lives with more of Jesus instead? What might that look like for your marriage? If instead of a fancy piece of jewelry to apologize and fix the rift, what if we said, no, Jesus, you are enough? And we put him at the center. What about our relationships with our kids? That maybe if I get them that brand new bicycle or that video game that they've been wanting, then they'll finally respect and honor me. No. What if we said, Jesus, you were enough. And we place you at the center of this relationship. What about in our finances? Rather than clamoring around and trying to figure out how to balance all the credit cards and the loans and so that we can get this and get that and I'll just move this over here and then, and then we'll do this and I can get this side job and here's, I can make it all work this way. No, what if we put Jesus at the center of our finances and say, you, you take control. We're gonna say no to some of these things because we're putting you first and then watch how he would bless us. What about in this, in this holiday season where For some of us, we we find ourselves depressed, angry, bitter, full of hatred. Maybe we've experienced loss in some capacity, on and on and on. And these, these emotions that we feel, especially at this holiday season, and they rip and they tear at us. And, and, and we, we think, well, maybe if I can just go out and just, I'm just going to go, I'm going to go buy a new outfit or I'm going to to go do this and, and go do that. And then that, that'll make me feel better. That'll, that'll help me to forget serve ourselves with addictions, drugs, and alcohol, and, and things all, all to, to help us cope and to deal, to get past it. 
What if we begin to say, no, Jesus, you are enough. Whatever we need, whatever we desire, Jesus, you are enough. You are all that we want. Jesus, you are all that we desire. Jesus, you are enough. I want you to think right now, all over this room, where's the area in your life that you need God to draw close to you? Maybe it's your marriage. Maybe it's your your finances. Maybe it's your relationship with your kids, your relationship with your extended family. Maybe there's, there's a root of bitterness in your life over something, in your heart over something, or you've experienced loss. You're depressed. You're lonely. Where is it that you need Jesus? You would say, Jesus, this is, this is what I need from you today. I need you to draw close to me in this area in particular. Where's that void in your life that you're experiencing today? My question for you would be, are you making him a priority in that area as well? Or are you trying to fix it through some other means with some other stuff that we all know isn't going to work? Jesus is enough. And maybe you're here today and you've got a huge void in your life. In fact, you've never stepped into a relationship with Jesus Christ, but, but you would like to this morning. You've come to realize that the things that you need simply can't be fulfilled through things, through wealth. And that you want to live a life full of peace and joy, happiness, contentment, thankfulness, and that that's the life that Jesus Christ came to offer you and me. If you'd like to enter into a relationship with him this morning and to make him Lord of your life, I want to invite you to pray this simple prayer with me. It's going to be on the screen right here. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, I admit that I'm a sinner and that I'm lost without you. I believe Christ died in my place, making a way for us to have a relationship. And I choose to follow Jesus and his way for the rest of my life. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. At Christ Walk Church, we exist to inspire people to follow Jesus every day. For more information about Christ Walk, please visit us at thechristwalk.com.